This is the Toasted Sister Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. Today I am joined by, joined with or joined by? Uh, joined by, joined with. Joined here in the studio Brett. with me, <laughs> here in the studio with me is Brett Maybe. Brett, yeah. can you introduce yourself? Brett Maybe Nikyaso Onondawaka My name is Brett Maybe. I'm from the Seneca Nation. I am Turtle Clan. Kind of depends on who you ask, but that's a discussion for another day. Uh, as far as identity politics and the decolonization of identity goes and whatnot. Uh, I live on the Allegheny territory of the Seneca Nation, um, raising a family in a traditional sense. My kids are also half Hawaiian. I do radio, I do music, I love food, I love it all, Andy. Brett came down from New York to visit us at the Native America Calling Studio in Albuquerque, where he hosted two special live episodes in April. Brett is the fill-in host for our radio show, and he runs his own music show called Gyno. So on this 77th episode of Toasted Sister, Brett and I will talk about his traditional Seneca food and then head straight into music and talk about his ongoing radio work to promote Native talent and intelligence. But one thing before we get started, if you like this podcast, please consider supporting on Patreon or by telling all your friends about this show. Okay. Let's get started. It's been um, pretty awesome to see you working here at the studio here at Native America Calling and uh, just, you know, interviewing those musicians the last couple of days just yeah. kind of seamlessly. Cool. Uh, I'm glad yeah. to hear that. I, I think it's one of those things I was telling Art the other day that you know, you, you don't really realize how much work you're putting into something until perhaps you step back and then are brought back into a situation like that. So there was like a six-month gap, I think, from the time that I was live on air to uh, doing that guest host position with Native America Calling. And it was refreshing, to say the least, to, I guess, uh, feel a little bit reassured that, uh, you know, I'm getting somewhere with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's it's great to hear you say that anyway. I don't want to digress too much. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, and you might notice my voice is a little bit scratchy. It's because we've been, um, you know, we've had a whole week of music yeah. here. It's, a, it's currently Gathering of Nations Week here in Albuquerque, and this is a couple of days, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the last of April when the Native population in Albuquerque pretty much triples because everybody's here for the big uh, Gathering of Nations powwow. Uh, so that's happening. The Deftones just so happened to uh, show up at this time. So I was at their concert on on uh, Thursday night and mm -hmm. was right up there in the front and lost my voice and um, uh, almost broke my neck. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm 
getting I'm getting my voice back, but um, it, it, it was such an awesome experience. Well um, worth the almost broken neck. Yeah, well yeah. worth <laughs> well worth that, and not uh, not having a normal voice for a right. couple of days. Uh, it's Saturday right now, so yeah. 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 <laughs> Who needs a, a voice on a Saturday? You know? <laughs> know, and we're going to a, a, an event later today. Snotty Nose Res Kids and yeah. uh, Travis Thompson and all kinds of awesome uh, native musicians here in Albuquerque. But uh, Brett, I wanted to uh, take a take advantage of your time here and bring you into the studio just to chit chat a little bit about food. You're from mm-hmm. all the way on the East Coast, and I I don't really have very many uh, East Coast uh, voices on Toasted Sister. Um, so I wanted to just um, ask you first, like, get, wh- what is the what is the food fair like up there in your area? I imagine there's lots of corn because every time I hear about that area, there's just <laughs> white corn and Haudenosaunee corn. Yeah, and yeah. tell me about it. So are we talking specifically like traditional foods or are we talking about like Western New York food? Because those are two very, very different <laughs> things. Let's um let's get uh, Western New York okay. and, and the colonizers out of the way. Sure. Well, Western <laughs> New York is the heart disease capital of the country. Okay. And some of that might have to do with the foods, including chicken wings beef on wick uh have you ever heard of that no no, no it's a it's like a a slow cooked beef uh i what makes it the wick is the kemawek it's wet kemawek um rolls it's like a seed and uh, salted roll okay but it's a regional favorite you don't really see it anywhere else so uh, okay. a lot of fried foods needless to say um yeah there's there's some pretty good eats around there anyway a lot of good seafood not really. Um, so my wife is Hawaiian, and she's really, like, hesitant to eat any seafood <laughs> that's that far inland, you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, you know, we have fish fries, and again, more with the fried food. We have a lot of fried foods <laughs> out there. Um, not, I wouldn't say seafood, but we do get sushi and things like that, you know. We have to travel for it. I don't have it in, on the res in town, you know, but, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, just uh, it's ubiquitous now. Yeah. Um, seafood is is ubiquitous, and uh, I, I kind of hesitated to take you over to the uh, Irish pub <laughs> the oh, other day. Yeah. Um, the whole staff went over there, and um, you know, I got the fish and chips. You know, that's one of my favorite things. But you know, there's always complaints where people living on the coast are like, "No, never ever gonna touch any kind of seafood in New Mexico." <laughs> I mean, yeah, people can get really picky about that and I was like oh my gosh what is he going to say when he sees the fish and chips well, on the menu yeah I, I think you can kind of get frozen fish anywhere and things like that yeah, yeah. but I didn't I didn't <laughs> have fish anyway yeah right I had the pot pie which was yeah. filling enough that I didn't eat anything else yesterday <laughs> uh, yeah nice. I, I usually have to like snack at like nine o'clock at night which is a bad habit yeah but um last night absolutely not I was just so full I mean that serving was so huge you know and I will say, you know, since this is a, a food discussion, that there are a lot of great eats out here. I've, I'm looking at Albuquerque as kind of a food destination now, you know. And um, uh, we, when we plan our trips, food is at the center of the experience. And you and I were talking about that. Why go someplace else and go to Taco Bell or whatever, you know what I mean? So, no, you've showed me some great places. Uh, Art has showed me some great places. Nola as well. Um, and then I got introduced to an, another diner this morning, which that was 
pretty filling as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the uh, the Southwest is pretty pretty great. I mean, a lot yeah. of people, I think, are maybe moving around, moving away from like enchiladas. Oh, there's just right. enchiladas and green chili and cheese here, but uh, we're, there's actually just a, a a lot of different variety of Mexican food. There's that, um, you know, near to our heart, uh, northern New Mexican food. I yeah. I've learned to love it over time. I used to hate it as a child. But sure. now, you know, I love it. Um, I love I love those uh, classic enchilada flavors and red and green or Christmas. Um, but yeah, the, those tacos from down south and those families who move up here from Mexico. I mean that that's the best. They know how to use chili. They know how to use uh, all kinds of different vegetables and fresh food. So let me ask you this: then those burrito tacos that we had the other day. Birria. That's birria. Birria. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to put that accent on it and roll your tongue, I cannot. Birria. Yeah, I yeah. cannot, like, physically roll my tongue. <laughs> it takes practice. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay. So, all right, that is kind of a fusion, too, right? Because it wasn't a, a strictly traditional recipe either, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that was by my friend um, Ryan Taylor. He's um, OK Winge, and his uh, mm. pop-up uh, business is called Yapop. Yep, up, up. Yep, yeah. It's it's Pope uh, spelled and pronounced backwards, but um, <laughs> uh, his his uh, take on birria tacos is pretty interesting. It's uh, he said his grandmother's mm. um, like red chili pork stew recipe. Yeah. Um, you know, so birria has a couple of uh, a special combinations of dried chilies you use in birria, especially the guajillo chili. That's oh, okay. that's the main chili in uh, birria. Um, but he uses uh, chimayo chili, which is something that the pueblos, that's traditional. their that's their brand yeah. of chili. Yeah, yeah that's cool. so he he uses that and um, you know slow cooks all that meat and finishes it on the grill, serves it up with that consomme and. That's it was amazing. That's a good pairing yeah. with the beer over at uh, Bow and Arrow. Definitely a highlight of the trip too. So yeah, yeah. most definitely. <laughs> um, so I wanted to um, also talk about um, yeah the traditional food. Now that we've got uh, <laughs> <laughs> Albuquerque and um, all those fried foods kind yeah. of out of the way, um, tell me a little bit about some of the uh, more traditional eats there in in your native community. Sure, sure. Uh, it's my understanding, and, and first, I, I do want to start with a little bit of a disclaimer. As much as I love culture and I love history, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself an expert in any one area. Uh, although, you know, as an ambassador or, or somebody who strives to represent uh, the nation that I come from as I travel about, um, yeah, I, I feel really honored to be here and talk with you a little bit about um, some of the uh, I guess history of our foods, at least from what I understand, because I think, you know, that's also part of the reclamation as well. We often associate like fry bread, you know, and, and things like that as a traditional food. And, you know, uh, we all know that that's a, a pretty new thing anyway, you know what I mean? Um, squash, we have our Joheco. You hear a lot about the uh, three sisters, yeah, the corns, beans, and squash. That was. You know, I'm sure other nations had that, but that's specifically like a Haudenosaunee thing as well, you know. And um, so I think corn is obviously the, the latest arrival in that trio of sisters. Um, and before that, we were primarily, I, I think, known to be kind of squash eaters, actually. 
Uh, that was our, our big sustaining food and beans, of course. But yeah, I mean, you see the introduction of corn and then populations explode, right? And, and that's not just there. That's the trend all over the hemisphere, right? Um, so, you know, there are a lot of kind of dishes that do revolve around that. Um, I think you're familiar with Gakwio Farms. You've kind of uh, talked a little bit, I think, with some of the food sovereignty movements that are going on and whatnot. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, uh, I never knew how to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> never knew how to pronounce it, but I know what it's, uh, I, I know how it's spelled yeah. um, just on social media. And I think I've had uh, uh, one of the farmers there on Native America calling before. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Gakwio. It's uh, essentially Gakwa, which is food, and Wio, which is good, and good food, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, they have an amazing operation going on out there right now. Uh, it is commercial, and you know, I think some people would like it to uh, maybe not be set up like that, but, you know, everybody's got to pay their bills. Uh, how do you expect to keep the lights on and stuff right. like that, you know? So I think, you know, instead of just trying to knock down what they have going on, um, food sovereignty really is at the heart of what those efforts are. And, uh, you know, they raise bison out there. Um, I think they, in fact, just added to the herd and they'll harvest the meat and that they do give away to elders and, you know, community members. But, you know, they're also, again, trying to keep the lights on, right? Yeah. Uh, white corn is a huge thing, which was a thing before Gakwio. And I think you guys are really good friends at Native America Calling with uh, Ganandagan. And, of course, the Iroquois White Corn Project has been around for a long time. And I, but I think they were really instrumental in helping to uh, bring uh, that operation uh, to the forefront, um, you know, and, and along with other initiatives around the area. Uh, something that does amaze me is how many different varieties of corn there are. Uh, it just kind of blows my mind that in such a short amount of time, I think relatively speaking, you see varieties that are specific to the territory even. You know, there's, I didn't know this until I went to the agricultural meeting a couple of weeks back. But I mean, there's, you know, a, a corn planter corn uh, that is specific. And, you know, the regions actually do kind of vary out there and whatnot. So it's just that kind of indigenous uh ingenuity, I guess, you know, and the way that they were able to just make it work, I think is really, really cool. You know, corn, obviously, kind of going back to the corn again, was the main staple. Um, And, you know, we were talking a little bit in the pre-interview about, you know, origin stories of foods and things like that. And I think the the most obvious one that comes to mind for me is the introduction of um, the roast corn soup. We have whole corn soup, and there's a whole process behind taking the holes off of the corn in order to make it workable, too. But then there's roast corn soup, uh, which has a, a completely different flavor profile and whatnot, too. And that one has—it's not a cool origin story, but it's, it's an origin story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you mind telling that origin story? The best I can, anyway. Okay. Uh, Back in the summer of 1779, George Washington gave the order uh, to exterminate the Iroquois. And so he sent two of his generals, uh, General Clinton and General Sullivan, uh, to march across Haudenosaunee territory, starting in the Mohawks on the eastern door 
and then just doing a uh, scorched earth campaign all the way across over to Seneca lands. And, and then there is actually another arm of that as well. That's the main campaign. That's the, the one that most people talk about. But then there was Daniel Broadhead who came up from Pittsburgh and along the Allegheny River and ended up um, burning down the, the village where Corn Planter himself lived. And that's how it gets its name, Genosa Degen, which literally means burnt village. Um, luckily, th- there was already a little bit of a skirmish, and they were able to save the lives of the people on the Allegheny Territory at that time because they had had advanced warning um, from an ambush that had happened, you know, I don't know how many miles downstream, but... You know, anyway, the survivors of that ambush were able to make it back up and and give a warning to everybody. So they got up into the hills, uh, but they did find a lot of corn. And so they burned that all up. And, you know, uh, that was a hard winter. Uh, That was everything that they were working on. Right. Um, So they did the best they could and they they cooked the burnt corn. And so it's my understanding that that's a little bit of the introduction of, um, uh, of, of the roast corn soup. Uh, and there are a lot of interesting insights uh, because, of course, they were documenting everything as they were you know, doing this. They were actually collecting seeds and things like that, too, which is another bizarre way which we've reclaimed some of the uh, indigenous fruits and things like that. Um, there is a specific apple that uh, a member of Clinton-Sullivan campaign grabbed examples of her seeds from. And, um, yeah, those were reintroduced back here a, a few years ago anyway. And I think there tends to be a little bit of reflection when a lot of community members eat that roast corn soup. You know, it's kind of a, a way to remember some of those hardships and things like that, too. And, you know, I, I just like the taste of roast corn soup. You know, it tastes great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we have, um, you know, just toasting the corn, roasting uh, corn, and, and a lot of other ingredients just brings out a whole different um, flavor profile oh, from, yeah. um, you know, whatever that ingredient is. So so what is the roast corn uh, soup how is it made now? I'm sure it's not, you know, how it was traditionally came about. Well, right. So I, I think the big difference is, and, and as I was kind of mentioning, um, and I, I don't cook corn soup. I always get it. <laughs> I always just buy it. Uh, but, you know, the white corn is a substantially hardier corn than, you know, sweet corn, which doesn't have a lot of nutritional value to it at all, right? Um, so there's a specific process. You have to use lye in order to remove the holes, and you know they always used ash and things like that to Next do it. Nixtenimization. Yeah, yeah. So that's the process for hulling the corn and 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 getting that kind of popped or puffed, you know, uh, profile from that particular um, white corn. And not only that, you know, this is an interesting side note as well. It's also my understanding that um, the white corn once hulled and processed like that actually has more of a, um, uh, it, it, it exists as more of like a complex protein than a carbohydrate. You know, so again, another one of those reasons why it was such a sustaining food. It had what you needed uh, in order to kind of keep you going. And of course, you know, warriors would take grounded cornmeal with them and whatnot. And actually, I was going to start talking about cornmeal too. That is something that 
they do with the white corn and um, you know mush and uh, breads and the corn wheels are freaking amazing too. Those are really really good boiled corn wheels. Throw some butter on there and some salt. Ah, what is the what is a corn wheel? Ah, yeah, it's just basically you know like a a corn. You would take all of that whole corn and um, I guess essentially make it into like a a wheel and then boil it. And, yeah, then people package them up and, you know, uh, you get them at the powwows a lot and things like that. Okay, kind of like a big giant dumpling? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. Hmm. Um, So that's one of my favorites as well. Uh, The mush, we actually eat quite a bit at home um, because the uh, gakuyo, they do, like I said, process it and sell it. So I'll go to the museum, you know, once a month and buy a bunch of that flour and then... You know, we throw fruits in there in the morning if we're doing it more of like a uh, breakfast food and maple syrup, you know. It's amazing. It's it's really good, really earthy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Super good. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. I mean, uh, we have a lot of lots of blue corn uh, down here, too, and there's a lot of that blue corn mush, blue corn bread. Um, Flakes, too. I've had blue corn flakes. Have you ever had those? No, I've never seen a corn flakes. Yeah, so corn flakes. Uh, corn flakes right? <laughs> <laughs> Not Kellogg's. Please don't sue me. Please don't sue me. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I, I spent a few years out in Salt Lake and I met all sorts of people. But there was this guy that I knew that was gifted like a whole box full of these like really thin corn sheets, and I would just you know munch on them all the time. It was like a, a skin. It was. So good. Peaky bread? I don't know. Uh, is it super thin? Really flaky. Yeah, oh, like yeah. Really flaky. Yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to eat five of them. Just to... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Was I he from? Was, was he like Hopi? Was I think he... so. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. peaky bread, and okay. it was blue. Yeah. Bluish oh, yeah. gray. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah like um, whenever I get it, which is very rarely, it's really good. Just like crushed and sprinkled on. Whatever you're eating, (laughs) that's like a stew or, um, you know, whatever a piece of a piece of grilled meat. It's that's really good. Oh yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that that sounds amazing. I'm getting hungry now. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, um, you know, you're really close to uh, your your culture and your language. And there was something that uh, you said that was kind of interesting about uh, how food and and music uh, kind of goes together. Or yeah. really an interesting peek back into, you know, uh, for us, uh, I guess a distant past. 1600s is pretty distant when you're talking about indigenous history and, and things like that, you know, the recorded word. Mm-hmm. And obviously the Jesuits had a lot of slant on what they were putting, especially when it came to like spiritual matters. But there were a lot of practical things uh, that can be gleaned from those writings as well. And, uh, you know, so for a long time, I'm I'm always fascinated with the origins of things like, you know, how did how did they figure out how to make this like water drum? And, um, you know, we know now and uh, obviously traditionalists have always kind of known that there's a connection between music and food, the socials, you know, even like in the northwest with the, the potlatch and things like that. Right. Um, you know, so the, the food has always been at the center, I think, of all the traditions. But one of the insights that I thought was really interesting, so in this Jesuit account, they're describing the social dances. And, you know, first I was amazed 
because when they're describing the manner in which the women dance, it's the same exact like way. You know, they barely lift their feet. It's more of like a shuffle yeah. as they go around and, and, and move in a counterclockwise circle. And they describe that. They describe the women not lifting their feet up as they go around and the old men dance or the old men singing. And when they're describing what the singer was using, he said that he had an earthen pot strung with leather around it. So those earthen pots, you know, are are the food pots and everything like that. Probably a smaller dish, obviously, holding your hand and whatnot. Uh, But, you know, and I don't think it offers any insight into the origins, but again, just those fascinating kind of insights into their life at that time, you know. And so there's a real practical origin of these drums, right? You know, it's not, as as far as I can tell anyway, this origin kind of came around. It's like, well, practically speaking, you know, they had to cover the food somehow, right? Um, So they would have strung leather around it. There was no saran wrap. I don't know if you knew that. There was no saran wrap back in the 1600s. (laughs) Uh, You know, so, I mean, and the heat of the food, the stew or whatever would make that leather, I think, stretch right or or, yeah yeah exactly so you know then it would be as something as simple as you know let's say an acorn falls off a tree and lands on that and you get a ping you know now all of a sudden you know the food's talking to you or whatever you know what i mean there's there's a little bit more of a relationship between the food and i think anyway the origins of the songs and 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 to me it's unmistakable to see the connections between the food and the singing and you know uh so again not necessarily an origin but uh insight anyway you know yeah yeah hmm um you know so that leads into music mm. um you know we just spent a couple of days listening to music and focusing on native music but that's your thing right. like every day native music is your thing yeah. talk about gyno talk yeah. about what you do sure yeah well how long do we have <laughs> <laughs> so gyno i i actually am, am first and foremost a musician radio broadcasting came a little bit out of necessity um, you know, basically for musicians back home, that avenue is, uh, you know, playing in a bar band, which, you know, it's good for a few extra bucks. I've done it a lot. I got a little bit frustrated with that and have been trying to figure out how to, I guess, make it work without having to just get up and relocate like the stereotypes go. You know, I, I don't know how many friends that I've had that get up and go to L.A. or get up and go to New York. And, you know, I didn't want to do that. I I hate to say it's been a little bit of a test to see if I can, but it kind of has been, too. Mm. Um, So anyway, back in 2015, uh, I recorded an album, uh, six-song EP, uh, Bones of the Ghost, which is is more or less like a um, coming-of-age story for me. Um, It starts off on this really superficial note. Um, you know, the songs are in pairs. I, I nerd out like I do with everything. I put way too much into it, you know, like uh, kind of the mechanics of it and everything. But there is a story, you know, and it is this kind of coming from a place of superficiality and immaturity. And then the two instrumental songs in the middle are kind of transformative. And by the end, you know, it, it's 
flawed, <laughs> but it was kind of where I had come to that thus far in my um, kind of traditional learning. I didn't grow up traditional, so this is a, a new relationship for me, right? Shake 
Um, so the old programs and operations manager of WGWE had me on for um, that, on Gyno, actually. He interviewed me for it, and I must have done, I must have did well with it, because afterward he's like, hey, you want a job? I'm like, get out of here, man, you know? <laughs> I don't want to talk about other people's songs. I want to talk about my own, bro, you know, and things <laughs> like that. Uh, so he moved on. He asked somebody else. Uh, that guy just decided to stop showing up. So six weeks later, he comes back and he says, hey, Brett, I really, really need somebody uh, to, you know, reliable. Please reconsider. And by that point, we found out that we were pregnant with our second son. And, you know, uh, we had to be flexible. And I, I really am happy with how, f you know, um, fluid we can be in our situation. So, you know, it's like, all right, you know, if she's going to want to stay home, then I'm going to need to pick up a little bit of slack. Yeah, I'll, t I'll, I'll do it for a little bit, you know. And uh, so I did. And I did it part time, I think, for about a year. And in that time, I was given the host duties of Gyno. It was a half an hour show. And then the following year, um, there was kind of a change of guard with that uh, radio station. And um, Chris Russell, our programs and operations manager, asked if I wanted to make it a, an hour show add an interview to it. And so I thought, yeah, all right. Um, so that's when Gyno kind of more or less took on more of the form that I think listeners are familiar with now. Uh, but there was an obstacle <laughs> when I started doing that. And I felt like uh, there aren't any really good resources by which to find native music out there. You know, there's this kind of catch 22. And I still believe it's pretty much the case, unless you live in like Albuquerque or Phoenix or some of the big cities like that, right? Um, that you have to know what you're looking for in order to find it. There is that little representation out there. Um, so, you know, in order to help facilitate the interviews and getting to know the scene and everything like that, I basically started a, a directory. Um, and that, my friend, is how I got way in over my head and completely immersed, <laughs> you know, and, and building some of these extensions on Gyno and stuff like that, too. But yeah, Gyno, anyway, has been absolutely amazing. I've been massaging it out for a number of years and then actually working with Nola and Bob with NV1 and on, on getting its syndication ready. Uh, ironically enough, um, you know, I don't want to blab too much about it, but uh, you know, we were getting ready to rock and roll in, I think, about November 2019, December 2019. The earthquake happens up in Anchorage and knocks out the studio. Oh, yeah. yeah, remember oh, that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, uh, I'm probably not going to bug them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we, I couldn't, uh, we couldn't bug them for post-its. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know. So, you know, come... February of 2020, we were getting ready to, you know, resume. Uh, they were getting their operations back in line and everything like that. A month goes by or a couple weeks go by, boom, pandemic hits. <laughs> so I'm like, eh, we're probably not going to talk about that too much <laughs> now either. Um, you know, so then, then long story short, um, about December 2020, January 2021, Bob's like, hey, you're up to bat. You know, we'll, we'll tell you what we need and everything like that. And, you know, we'll, we'll get it ready for syndication. So it's been amazing. It's been uh, an incredible journey getting to know what's out there. And, um, you know, it's, it's really helped me to, I guess, dare to imagine. Um, and I think we are really, really fortunate with 
uh, the timing on things and, and stuff like that right now, too. You know, all hats off. Uh, all, I give all my respect to people who have been slaving away in this indigenous music industry for a long time without any of that recognition in the mainstream and things like that. And, you know, I, I really feel like I'm standing on their shoulders now, and I have some really great support uh, to, to help build on, too, you know. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Gyno is a lot of fun. Check your local listings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and how many, how many uh, bands do you have on that directory? Oh, so, yeah, all right. So, okay, yeah. I start the directory because there's no way to really tell who's out there. Um, and so I'm about 800 <laughs> musicians and bands in. Yeah. Not all of them play anymore. And it's not even close to up up to date i haven't been able to do anything with that side of the website in i don't know two three years now so anybody that i've had on gyno for that time is probably not on there either you know yeah. but yeah yeah there's something like 800 musicians on the native artist directory and it's simple really at its core it's just a way to go and search, you can search by genre. So you type in blues, it'll bring up all the blues artists. You type in Diné, it'll bring in all the Navajo artists, you know, or, mm -hmm. or, or so or you can obviously search by name too. So I tried to make it a really kind of concise place, and it's simple. It tells you name, nation, you know, if they have a record label and a, and a link to their, um, to their site. But then a friend of mine pointed out, he's like, he, he's a little bit more knowledgeable with SEO and all of the kind of, uh, you know, how websites garner traffic and all of that, the logistics of yeah. all that. He's like, well, with a website, you don't necessarily want people to leave your website. What you have, you're just shoehorning everybody to somewhere else. You yeah. want people to kind of stay there. So I had this other project that I was working on independently and and so I was able to kind of facilitate it, and now it also has a 24/7 indigenous music playlist going on with it and whatnot too. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's tons of fun. But I, I'm really trying to make it a place where we can uh, express ourselves um, in a, in a free way like that. You know, uh, it's going to be heavy in cultural stories. And as I was mentioning to you, a lot of the news that I want to focus on is not, you know, economics and bottom line and business and all that kind of stuff. I want it to be agricultural news, um, you know, which it presents some challenges if I'm trying to make this into something national. Obviously, you're in a completely different climate and growing atmosphere than we are up there. But, you know, if I'm starting it with the local community in mind, and there will always be that element, that's the kind of news that I want it to have because it is so integral to all of our beliefs. Again, that, that connection with the land and growing your food and um, you know the stories that are born from those relationships, the, the traditions that are born from those relationships. You know? So yeah, uh, it's, just, it, it's kind of fun because it's like all these little hyphae of mushrooms or whatever that you know, they send out their feelers and now I'm starting to see some of this uh, mycorrhizal fruiting and things like that <laughs> between the projects, you know what I mean? So <laughs> that mushroom language yeah. coming out. Yeah. Um, well before uh, before I ask you about mushrooms and <laughs> um, before we lose another three hours yeah, exactly. talking about mushrooms. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about uh, native music. Yeah. 
native music, uh, you know, just like native food, people are always asking me, what is Native American food? Right. What are some of these recipes? And, you know, on, on, on one side, it's like you, you just mentioned the written word and, and other, other people taking uh, these historical accounts, which only started like right a couple decades or a couple of centuries right. ago yeah. um <clears throat> you know so so you know when people ask me that it's it's kind of a hard question to answer but you know i always give them like a, a contemporary it's contemporary it's what we're cooking right now it's what we're cooking with the flavors right. and the agriculture and the land right now where yeah. we are and where our tribes have always been whether that's um here and around albuquerque or sure. you know wherever i mean everywhere is kind of like is is native land and there was a tribe there and there were um cooks and dishes and flavors just from that spot that's what native American food is. Yeah. Um, what is native music? Right. No, oh, that's a loaded question too. <laughs> well, and and I think it is worth talking about mm-hmm. um, because you know systemically, the United States especially still wants native music to be tourist music. Mm. You know, the flute and the drum and you wear your feathers and you know you're going to be in this new age category and they make it very hard. Uh, to let it be anything other than that, you know, which at this point I just don't think is is possible. It's like, you know, it's one of these situations. It's like, we're going to make it for ourselves anyway, you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, I think it is as, as diverse and as complex as, as what you're talking about with food, um, you know, and, and it's very much the same kind of thing. Yeah, there will be... You're going to see your blues, you're going to see your rock, you're going to see your pop, you're going to see, you know, your hip hop. But there are all these local flavors that are thrown into it, too, right? That spice it up or make it a little bit more savory or something kind of specific uh, that lets you know. Sometimes it is the flute, right? You know, um, but a lot of times, most of the time, I think it's kind of the content of the music, right? And you know, I don't want to box my statement into a corner with that either. You know, I'm not saying that you have to have a message about saving the earth and, and things like that in order to be considered Native American music. At its core, Native American music is any music that's being made by indigenous people, right? But, you know, what is cool right now is that there's less of an expectation to leave that part of your identity behind if you want to pursue that. Take, for example, like Robbie Robertson, right? You know, he starts with Bob Dylan in the 60s. And when you hear him talk, I think it's on Rumble. He says, you know, we didn't, you didn't talk about being native. That wasn't something that you wanted to really highlight too much uh, because you're going to set yourself up. You know, look what happened to Buffy St. Marie. Um, You know, she opens up about real issues and things like that. And Lyndon Johnson and all of those guys try to have her blackballed, you know. It even happened to Johnny Cash. You know, he writes an album about songs dealing with Native America. And even one of those songs on that album are specifically about the Allegheny Territory that I'm from, for as long as the grass shall grow. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and he, that's how he becomes the man in black. He says, I'm going to wear black until indigenous people get justice. And I think he wore black up until he died. (laughs) (laughs) And now I wear black. Right. (laughs) So, you know, 
that's that's a really hard question to answer, but I think if there is one thing that I'm really trying to emphasize right now is that there is this kind of um, uh, danger of homogenizing everything, right? You know, uh, just like when we talk about dream catchers and things like that. Dream catcher is not Native American. That belongs to a nation. I think Anishinaabe, or, you know, I could be wrong about that. But, yeah. you know, the Cree round dance is not Native American. That is specific to them and, and so on and so forth, right? So there is that danger, but we also have this shared experience of colonialism. So there is this identity that we share with each other now. So long story short, what I have been trying to emphasize is that we don't, uh, to say that we work in the world of Native American music, you know, as far as music goes, um, I think it's a little bit limiting. It's taking something uh, complex and and multidimensional and flattening it onto a piece of paper or whatever, you know. Um, and I get genuinely excited to take that a step further and say, you know, yeah, it's wrong to say that I work in the world of Native American music, but I'm excited to work in like the multiverse of Native American music. Each nation has their own specific universe that they occupy, right? You know, their own concepts of space and time. Uh, and that's what I get excited about, that, you know, this nation has these spirits and these relationships here, and we have our own. And, you know, it's a way to respect the individual nation identity, right, uh, while still, I think, connecting us all together. And if you ask me, I think there's a lot more potential here than in something like Marvel, you know what I mean? Like, if we can, Marvel's cool, don't get me wrong. The, the Marvel verse is, is awesome. But I get excited thinking about all of the multiverse stories that can be told from an indigenous perspective and whatnot, you know? So I, 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 I don't know if I answered your question today. <laughs> I, I think so. I, I think you did. I okay. think there's a there's an answer in there um, somewhere. It's um, it it has like a life of its own. Yeah. Like every every artist has a, a life of their own and different right. experiences. And and but you know the native experience is always going to be so much more different than anybody else's experience and and you know you feel just an automatic kind of connection to that kind of music just like you feel a connection to that kind of food Um, because you know there's kind of like that that you know um you automatically feel like a fan of it because it's native i mean we we all we we all kind of uh have those connections like we're all automatically cousins (laughs) well but that's the thing too right that's why you know i've even heard blowback or pushback from people at home like, well, I'm, I'm working on this, like I was mentioning, that Full Moon Radio Turtle Islands tune thing, right? And wanting to partner up with the schools and whatnot. And one of the retorts is, well, why does it get to be all native? Well, it gets to, a radio station gets to be whatever you make it, you know? And why does it get to be all native? Well, you know, it's not. I'm not calling it, a, you know, a Native American genre, per se, you know what I mean? But if you were to give country music another name, what would you give it? What would it be known by? If you were to give Christian music another name, what would it be known by, right? And you could say the same thing about pop music because it's prim- primarily dominated 
by you know in non-indigenous white people, right? And, and I'm not—I I don't try to use those terms in, in kind of a derogatory thing, but. W- People have to understand we're not the ones that started classifying things like this. You know what I mean? So what it really boils down to is I have a responsibility to make this pathway for my kids in their generation. So if they see indigenous artists out there and they see that people are making music, then maybe they'll see that they have a chance at doing that, too. We didn't have that growing up. You know, by and large, there has always been a few, but that hasn't ever really been a thing. So, you know, I get to have this responsibility of making sure that, you know, we see ourselves represented. You know, I I have the responsibility of making sure that that gap is, is being bridged because, you know, at this point, the myth has always been that Native music isn't good enough to be in the mainstream, and that's complete BS. What I've learned is that it is absolutely, you know, modernly speaking, you know, what's being released right now, if they get the funding to produce a, a good record, it's going to sound as good as anything out there, yeah. you know. And, and that's what I really try to highlight, like going back to Gino, are those who do that work, those who understand industry standards and take the business side of it seriously. I'm not looking for people, you know, who are just going to record it on a, on a home four track, which is, I'm not knocking that either. But then there's the business side that, you know, there are industry standards and things like that, that you're trying to get across as well, right? Right. Um, so, you know, that's a lot of the mechanics of thought into why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I, a good example of, I guess, using Marvel again as an example, I grew up with Peter Parker. We grew up with Peter Parker. He's the Spider-Man that I like, you know, but my boys get excited to see Miles Morales because he looks like them a little bit more. He can identify with them. You know what I mean? All growing up, we didn't have those heroes in our own. We were always being cast as the Jafars or the Kokums, you know, or, you know, (laughs) the bad guy. Bad Indian number three. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So now that we're seeing ourselves as as the heroes in our own story and everything like that, music is the exact same way, you know what I mean? And, And so, yeah, it's tons of fun. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure if there's an answer in that. <laughs> I don't even think I had a question for that one. Um, but that's how you can tell. You just love what you do. And I, I love, like, the energy coming across here. Um, you mentioned something about space, time, <laughs> and then there's a radio involved yeah. and a turtle shell. <laughs> yeah. Talk about that a little bit. What, what, what are your dreams for uh, the future of, right. of, of all of this? The Reader's Digest version, right? Yeah. Please. (laughs) She's she's like, please. (laughs) So, you know, the good thing is I've already touched on all the various aspects of what that radio is going to be, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's the directory portion of it. There's the music player, the the library of music that's going to be played. Um, you know, and then tying it in with the agricultural news. So I've already kind of touched on a lot of that, but, you know, to kind of kind of dig in a little bit with what you were talking about with the name and this kind of concept of space-time. Reader's Digest version. Um, you know, I found myself kind of repeating some logic that has been passed down to us. Um, it was from a traditional elder, and I love her to death. Uh, but, you know, we are all 
trying to undo these bonds of, of colonialism and things like that, right? And, you know, there's this misconception that we have to pick or choose, you know, between being a a traditionally minded person or a modern person. And I, I think the danger of that is, is, you know, I think there's the data to back this up too, that when, when faced with that choice, nine times out of 10 now, people choose in favor of the modern world because it's what's relevant, you know, and they're seeing less and less space because our traditions are being treated more and more like religion or church or something that you put on and take off, you know. Um, so, you know, if, if church is being less relevant among people in this country, then it goes to say that people who think about traditionalism in that manner are also going to see it as less relevant. Therefore, they're going to, you know, what's the purpose of me learning Seneca if I have to go to college and get a career and do this, right? And so, and having this discussion with an elder about, you know, doing school for our boys and whatnot, she said, you have to think about what it is you want your kids to be someday. Do you want them to be cultural or do you want them to do this? And I basically verbatim said that to my son. I said, you know, I was really proud of myself too. I was like, you know, don't answer me now. Think about it for a little bit. And then come back to me with your answer. And he, you know, he's eight. <laughs> Not that he should have figured out what he wants to be, but he comes back. He says, Dad, I've been thinking about what you said. He was eight at the time anyway. He says, I've been thinking about what you said, and I want to be a scientist someday. So I think I'm going to stay going to school here. And now I'm like banging myself on the head. Man, you're dumb. You know, like, why did you say that? You you set yourself up, you know, to get that answer. And I I, I was, uh, all right, I'll be right back. You know, I'll be right back, son. <laughs> so... I said, all right, look, you know, I, I fully support you wanting to be a scientist someday. And I'm going to do everything I can to help get you ready. But here's the thing. I don't want you to feel like you have to pick or choose. In fact, I want you to bring the language. I want you to bring uh, the traditional manner of thinking and, and the teachings with you as you go to university and learn how to become a scientist. I said, because, you know, if you... Seneca is a very hard language. It's up there with like Arabic and uh, like Japanese. It's a level four. Um, so it's tough. And, you know, so basically what I told him, I says, if you can learn this, you can learn any language. And any of those sciences have their own language associated. Biology is its own language. Chemistry is its own language, you know, yada, 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 so on and so forth. Those are all individual languages. So you learn this language, you'll be able to learn those languages too, or Hawaiian, you know. Um, I said, but you're going you're gonna to utilize the teachings by which to establish a relationship with these forces, you know, because any scientific innovation is an observation from the natural world. And that's when I started to kind of get really kind of frustrated that we don't see ourselves as scientists because now going back to this conversation about corn, that was intentionally bred. That wasn't an accident. That's scientific thought. You know, making dwellings in the side of a freaking cliff, that takes scientific innovation or making an igloo. That's scientific innovation, you know, or, or the ability to breed different varieties of corn. Scientific innovation. Our work with dreams and the understanding of the, psycho uh, the subconscious and psychology. That's science. 
you know, uh, the Hawaiians being able to get all across the Pacific just using the stars and no instruments by which to do it, that is science. The Mayan calendar, science, you know, boom, boom. There are all these examples. And now it's like, I don't want there to be a gap. I want them to see themselves as traditionally based scientists. You know, imagine what our youth can discover in the world of science because they're bringing their thoughts and their original words with them. There are so many things that I'm convinced we haven't unlocked because of the limitations of our worldview with English and the limitations of the English language, you know. So that is what I really got passionate about. And again, with this idea of what I get to do, well, I I get to have this, you know, uh, conversation with my boys in order to prepare them and everything, right? You know, I'm kicking around this radio idea And I'm thinking, yeah, full moon radio, uh, because I'm going to use the moon cycles as a relevant way of tracking time and things like that. And so I'm starting to put it online and everything. Then I'm like, well, geez, I don't want everybody to think that it's, you know, crystals and Wicca and all that (laughs) full moon kind of stuff that we typically now associate with the new age, Mm -hmm. right? So I was like, you know, if somebody's going to go on the Internet and search for, there has to be some kind of Native American reference to it. So like Turtle Island Tunes. I was like, well, I still like the full moon stuff, though, too. And then it kind of, you know, it clicked. It was like, well, why not have both? It's a long name, but who cares, right? You know, I'm not doing it to make a buck. This is an art project for me. So it then became Turtle Island Tunes under the full moon radio. So I kind of took both of those names and, and combined them. And so as I was sitting with it a little bit, I was like, all right, you know, Turtle Island, we hear a lot about land acknowledgments, and Turtle Island is a land acknowledgment, right? You know, anytime I get on gyno, I try to limit the amount of times I say, you know, the United States artist or the Canadian artist. You know, to me, I don't want that border to exist between, you know, the nations here and the nations over there. So calling them Turtle Island musicians is a way to acknowledge the land right there, right? Uh, but I do think there is an element that's missing, and I don't think it's any fault of anybody. I think we just need to build on the conversation, right? So we're having these land discussions. Why don't we start reclaiming our use of time as well? And that's what the full moon is, is it's a time acknowledgement, you know, an acknowledgement of our reckoning of time and how many of us shared those beliefs in the moon cycles and used them for planting and, you know, so on and so forth, right? So then now the name becomes an acknowledgement of space and time. Now I get to be the dad who is, you know, helping my kids to be scientists someday. That's all physics. That's, you know, quantum physics and yeah. things like that. Uh, the, the theory of relativity and Albert Einstein, you know, that's, that's space time. Um, and I even threw a, a quote on there that has something to do with the effect like, um, you know, time. Oh, I'm, I'm going to butcher it right now. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, you need both of those elements there for reality to exist. You know, mm-hmm. you need time and space in order for matter to function. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I've been really nerding out with that. And that's ultimately what led to this idea of, you know, 
working in the indigenous multiverse. And I know I'm not the first one to say that or anything. I'm not claiming, you know, proprietary rights or anything on that. But I get excited thinking, you know, it's like a big bang, right? You know, now we have so much more that we can talk about in respectful ways, in scientific ways, in intelligent ways, you know, that don't seem backwards and outdated because that's the colonizer method that's what they beat into us this is you guys are backwards you guys are dumb you know and and what bothers me the most is while they were telling us that they were going through and they were mining all of this information from us because they knew damn well how much wealth is in those words so then it becomes even more sinister when you realize all right they're telling us this is all bs but they're getting all of these scientific innovations off of our work, that makes me mad. Mm -hmm. And that's part of that reclamation too. You know, it's reclaiming who we are as complete individuals, not just one-dimensional feathers and paint, you know, John Wayne kind of stuff, you know what I mean? So, yeah, (laughs) that's what I see. I see it as this platform by which we can collaborate in unique ways and have artistic conversations, have scientific conversations. I love sitting with uh, elders from my territory who have spent time down here, who have married people from the Navajo Nation, and and hearing some of the metaphysical understandings and the teachings there is, you know, it's amazing. It's so cool. And I think we need to have more of those conversations, right? So I see it as, as, as a way to help, A, facilitate the integration of, uh, you know, our music into the mainstream. I hope programs and operations managers check it out and they're like, wow, Jay Lee Wolf, that's hot. That belongs on a hot AC station. Or, you know, why aren't we talking more about Mickey Free and him hanging out with Prince and stuff like that? You know what I mean? But at the same time, too, I also uh, I, I wanted to exist for no other reason than just to have the space by which to express ourselves that way, you know. Revisiting archetypes, you know. If I'm going to make up a tagline, it's like traditional radio means something different around here. It means something different to us than it would mean to a broadcaster who produced on WNBC for the last 40 years. See, you know, uh, you know, that kind of traditional radio means something completely different to them. And they're the ones that keep telling us, no, there's no market for it. No, there's no market for it. Bull. We're going to make the market because we are the market. We're not trying to market it to you anymore. We're trying to market it to ourselves, to our kids. And is that okay or not? That was Brett Maybe from the Seneca Nation. Links to Gyno and Native Voice One are in the show notes and on my website, ToastedSisterPodcast.com. The song you heard in the middle of the show is Bones of the Ghost, and this song you're hearing right here at the end is Realm of the Earthworm, both by Brett Maybe. 
This episode was recorded in the Native America Calling Studio here in Albuquerque. Music for Toasted Sister is by C.W. Ione. Check out his music at cwayon.com. That's c-w-a-y-o-n.com. And I will be going to Las Vegas, Nevada soon for this year's National Center for American Indian Enterprise Development Reservation Economic Summit. That is for short called RES. Hashtag RES2022. So if you're there, say hi to me and stay tuned for a very special Toasted Sister episode about food economics in Native America. I'm Andy Murphy, host, creator, producer of the Toasted Sister podcast. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time.